0: Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Just Hands Poker Podcast. Before we jump into the discussion today, I have to give a small disclaimer about the talk Jack and I had. I neglected to mention that the main villain in the hand was a younger guy, maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, was drinking that night, and knew some other people in the room. Jack was under the impression that this was maybe just a slightly more loose and aggressive, kind of standard 50-year-old recreational player. So while most of the analysis won't change because of that one fact... Keep that in mind when listening to the episode. So without further ado, here's the hand. Hey Jack. Hey Zach, what's going on man? Just got back from a long session at Maryland Live, my favorite casino I've ever played at. (laughs) Yeah, great action there. So I was playing in a 2-5 game, it was about 2am on a Tuesday night, and there was a mandatory straddle. Uh, And the main villain and I in this hand recently just kind of went to war. About five hands ago, I had the queen ten of hearts on a king-jack-four-two-heart board, and he had uh, ace-king, and we got it all in on the flop for about 700 each, and I hit a flush on the river. And then the very next hand, I flopped uh, top two on a seven-nine-ten board, and he made a giant... Uh, overbet uh, check raise when I bet in position and uh, I called and he flopped the nuts straight <laughs> so this all happened within like you know the last 10 minutes of each other he's like definitely mm-hmm. he's definitely like a friendly guy uh, and not kind of like taking you know it personally like the, the first hand and doesn't seem like the money matters that much to him but he's definitely kind of eyeing out for me if you know what I mean
1: yeah, it's kind of funny, though, because, like, those both seem like pretty straightforward spots. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, against people who aren't, like, professional, the perception in that spot is just, you know, they sort of have their eye out for you, even if that's just the way the game would have always flowed by the way the d- cards were dealt in proper play.
0: Exactly, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know what he thinks I'm doing with a open-ended straight flush draw on a you know, on the first hand. And the second hand was pretty standard because, you know, he was acting a little bit tilted for just losing that pot. So got a a bluff catch there. Mm -hmm. And I had outs. (laughs) Uh, So we get to this next hand, and now he's in, like, middle position one. We're playing nine-hand at this point. And after he just won that big pot off me, he has a little over $1,300 behind and I, and I have him covered. So he opens to 35, and I'm on the button with queen, nine of clubs. So a few things about his opening range. He was definitely playing at least 30% of hands, but probably not more than, like, 40%. But a lot of them were limps, so I think his opening range is fairly strong. It might be a little bit weaker after just kind of all this action has occurred, and he just won a big pot. But... I think he definitely still has a limping range. And because he's in more relatively early position, I don't really see the value of 3-betting. I think it's you know always good to 3-bet a player like this where I feel like I have a skill edge and this dynamic going on, I'm in position. But I don't want to have to 3-bet fold. And uh, we're deep enough that I have a lot of implied odds with a hand like Queen-9 of clubs. So in this spot, it seems like a pretty straightforward call.
1: I agree. Unless uh, you think there's a really high chance that one of the uh blinds or straddle is going to three bet
0: so yeah in in the blinds are two very straightforward kind of weak type players and the straddle uh it was definitely a professional player but he was kind of playing a pretty straightforward tag strategy and i've seen him like kind of have some obvious squeeze spots before because he was playing very tight in spots where like i'm thinking you should totally go for this because of your image and everything and he doesn't he hasn't squeezed once mm-hmm. yet and there's been a lot of opportunities with the straddle. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about that. The one time he did uh 3 bet pre, he had aces. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so he's in the straddle and I call and the straddle calls. I think he the straddle has about 900 at this point. Uh wow. so we're seeing the flop with uh about 110 in the pot and the flop is 10 7 3. With the 10-3 and three of clubs, the straddle checks, the main villain bets 50. What are we doing here? Oh, uh, well, we're not folding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm
1: probably just calling. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you could there, – there's a case for semi-luffing here, but you don't have a super strong draw, and I think it would be nice to keep – Pre-flap razor's range a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we could raise a turn bet if things don't come through for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not sure you know, if his preflop raising range is, is
0: strong. It's maybe not super think. strong. It's just, you know, it's stronger. Like, he he's not opening every hand he's playing. So, you know, it's on the strong side, but he definitely, you know, could have, like, ace 10 offsuit there easily, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm. Well, is, do you think this guy is someone who would double barrel? I think he would double barrel on select boards. I also think he'd definitely be inclined to bluff catch me on a draw heavy board on a blank. Okay. Yeah, I think, again, this is. For me, I'm doing. I'm never doing anything but calling in the spot for a lot of reasons. One, my implied odds are so high, we're really deep. And, you know, he, he's looking to make money off me at this point. And I think if, if I hit a flush, I can get at least one street of value, even though it's the obvious draw. And then I think I have a pretty profitable turn raise on a lot of scare cards, whether they're, like, straight scare cards or the, like, middle, middle or top pair pairing. Because I think he'll likely call a turn raise from me but I don't think he's going to bluff catch the river without a real hand. You know, he's not going to like be bluffed by me. Like he doesn't want that, so he'll likely call uh, most turn raises, whether I have a, a real hand or not. But I don't think he's going to call a really big bet on the river without a without a real hand. And I've, I've seen this proclivity of him in other pots where it looks like he'll want to bluff catch one street and not be bluffed, but he's never. Uh, called a big river bet with a bluff catcher. He's definitely toiled before, but then always ends up making the fold. He he definitely has, you know, a decent amount of poker intelligence It's just playing Mm -hmm. too wide of a range and, you know, calling a little bit too much.
1: Yeah. Still, we could probably get, I guess you could call it one and a half streets of value.
0: Yeah, exactly. A
1: a nice value on the turn. And then knowing this, we could probably, you know, exploitatively bet sort of a smallish, bet that he's going to feel sort of insulted by
0: it, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. I like the call. Also importantly maybe earlier I would do this like when I when I raised the queen 10 of hearts on that board it's because I, I thought that I had some fold equity. But in retrospect you know if he's he's the type of guy it's like if there's a draw out there he's kind of just going to go with top pair against a lot mm-hmm. of players you know. So my fold equity here is like very low. Uh, so the the idea of getting three bet potentially by an overpay or a set is is a disaster. So uh, yeah. So yeah. So I guess
1: yeah, I totally agree with the call in that case because if you don't have full equity
0: and you don't have a you know a nut type draw, then there's there's no reason to inflate the pot here. Exactly. And <laughs> as you were saying before, like the he could still have a wide range here. He can definitely be c-betting with overcards into two people. He's definitely capable of that. So the only hands I'm folding out here are hands I don't want to fold out. Mm-hmm. You know, are hands that are bluffing that I can either, you know, get value out of somehow or, you know, float and when we both miss in position be able to take the pot away. Yeah. So I call and the guy in the straddle, uh, he folds. So we're going to the turn with two ten in the pot. And it's the ace of clubs giving me the second knot flush. And he kinda looks at his chips for ten seconds, stares me down and then checks. What's your play?
1: Hmm. Well so well first, how much credence do we want to give to that uh to those tells he just gave off? Because I don't
0: I don't think he's the type of player who like when he does that he will always fold to any bet, but I think he definitely is saying like I don't have a flush, I don't have a great hand, like, what are you going to do on this giant scare card? That's how I read it. Yeah,
1: I, I think that...
0: But I definitely I don't think he has air here. When he does something like that, I don't think he's just kind of posturing with air. Yeah, I think he the, realizes the, he, he's in a difficult situation. I think,
1: you know, the way I interpret that, and I don't want to go off that too strongly. Of course. This a sort of default to game theory. But the way I'm interpreting that action is... You know, the first seven seconds of looking at his chips are like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then three seconds of, oh, no, I'm looking at my chips for like 10 seconds. <laughs> look up at you, give you a nice mean stare, and then give you the old check. <laughs> Which is, I I mean, like, you know, I've caught myself doing that kind of thing. I mean, I would never, like, look up and stare at someone and check. <laughs> yeah. But I've caught myself deliberating in a spot where, you know, that deliberation might... Read his weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about maybe physically how to, you know, what's the best way to think in a spot where thinking about something might look weak. Yeah. But anyways, back to this specific hand. Mm-hmm. I think because of the way he sort of gave off that tell, where he gave it in a way where it seems like he knows he did it. Yeah, Yes. Yeah. I think a great spot for like maybe a larger bet uh, because he's he's sort of conscious that he's bluff catching and that you know, he's bluff catching Mm -hmm. and that this ultimate scare card came out. Yeah. So, you know, if he's
0: going to bluff catch, make him bluff catch, you know, for some serious value. Yeah. And when he checked, I actually, you know, I thought for about 30 seconds as well, because I was just thinking, you know, what sizing am I doing? And my first thought, you know, whenever I make a hand and have the image that I do is to, you know, Go to Value Town and bet big. But then I was thinking, I would likely be able to get more money from him if I make maybe a smaller bet now and a smaller bet on the river. Because I have pretty much an invulnerable hand at this point. Uh, yeah. You know, there's some pairing cards that I don't love, and uh, he could always have maybe like Ace King offsuit with the King of Clubs. That's such a small part of his. His range, I'm really just trying to get value from his bluff catchers and bet in a way that looks kind of the most bluffy to him. And I also think, even if he's ready to bluff catch, if I, like, overbet or bet near pot, I think he could decide that, fuck, he's pulling one over on me again, but this bet's too big for me to, like, be in this spot on the river again. Where if I bet something maybe closer to half pot to three-quarters pot, he can really convince himself that, you know, I'm going to always bet that one check too. And then I can easily make up the value loss with another bet, where if I bet full pot, even if he calls, I think he's going to have a very time, hard time calling a bet of even the same exact size on the river. Like, if I bet 180 on the turn, river's a blank, and I bet 180 again, I think he might even fold there. So, yeah, what do you, what do you think about that?
1: To me, half pot might be a little small. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think the way... Uh, the action is played and the way that, you know, the the physical exchange has gone on this hand. I just think you can get more uh, from this turn bet. I definitely don't think you should overbet or bet pot. But I think, uh, I almost think that sort of a three-quarter pot bet could even look a little bit weaker. You know, because you, I mean, if you were bluffing here,
0: you would bet larger, Right. Honestly, against this specific villain, I think I'm betting almost the same size on the turn if I'm bluffing or if I'm not. And then it's the river that gets exploited. You know, the the sizing changes to an exploitative sizing based on value or bluffs. I mean, we're basically in agreement. I ended up betting 135. Uh, And if I was bluffing, I would probably bet 135 and then bomb the river. And because I'm value betting, I'm going to bet 135 and then bet a little over half pot on the river is the plan.
1: Yeah, I guess when I say... In this instance, when I said if you were bluffing, I meant like let's imagine you were you got to this spot somehow, and then you have now
0: two blank cards.
1: Mm-hmm. Would you would you throw out a bet on this turn?
0: Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm saying if I'm check two on this turn, I'm betting like 135 with my basically my entire range. Maybe some hands that aren't flushes that I'm still trying to get value from. I would consider checking back, but because it looks like he's ready to bluff catch me for a street, even if I had like a some type of ace-king float, I would probably bet that for value for 135 and then maybe check back the river. Because I think it's more likely for me to get value on this street. Right. So I can't really think of a hand in my range that I wouldn't be betting around 135 here. Mm-hmm. I
1: guess I just think that you could you could keep that same sort of balance range uh, and almost look look better doing the whole thing, doing a, going with 175 here. Uh, mm-hmm. you'll be building more value with your bluffs that you're really confident about. And, you know, if he's, if he's going to read it like that where he thinks that 175 bet's likely to be a bluff that he's going to bluff catch for one street, uh, then you're getting more value either way. Yeah, okay. I mean... If, you, if mm-hmm. you think that the bet of 175 is gonna, just going to fold out a lot of the hands that he might bluff catch with that you want him to, or that you think that with a combination of that and a slightly smaller river bet than what you would have done if you'd bet 135
0: that that's not going to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's
0: really marginal here. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's like I'm. we always have a really limited sample size in live poker. I've been playing with him for about an hour, and the sense that I got was that, you know, he had a bluff-catching, like, sizing threshold there. And I felt that if I went kind of clearly below that threshold, not by a lot, but, like, just clearly below it, which I think 135 did, I could get two streets of value again not huge value from a bluff catcher but if i go like 175 i might get one street but then i'm almost never getting the river mhm this might just be a little bit unresolved between us uh-huh going
1: on i think one other thing to consider is if this is a guy who's saying okay i'm going to call the turn and if hopefully he checks back the river that i think there are players who will do that sort of planning definitely
0: and I, 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 I...
1: might get thrown apart if you bet a hundred on the river.
0: Mm, yeah. And then
1: he says, oh no. I <laughs> can't fold to a hundred. But, yeah, that is, I mean, I think that's something to consider that someone who's decided to make a stand, uh, might have already decided to call a turn bet and not a river bet. In which case, we should load up on the turn bet. Definitely. So, let's, let's leave this. You would bet 135. I'd bet 175. Mm-hmm. Uh... You know, you're missing forty dollars of value,
0: but that's okay. You know, you're still a good player. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I bet one thirty-five, and he took maybe like twenty seconds to call, but he he did so in a way where he's like, "I know this is a scare card. I know you could be bluffing, and I'm not going to let you do it." Type thing. It's like he, it seems like he pretty much already decided to call before the bet. You know, it just I got yeah. the sense that he was posturing. Uh, so he called. So now we're going to the river with 380 in the pot. And uh, it's an offsuit six, which is a really shitty card because now, even if he thinks I'm a bluffer, you know, all the draws got there. Mm-hmm. He checks, and he very much looks like not interested in the hand anymore. Maybe he already decided that he was going to fold almost any river, and then he sees this river and he's, you know, feels like he's likely going to. Likely going to fold. He he didn't have, like, really strong physical tells, like someone was completely done with the hand, but I definitely picked up on a little bit of that. Mm. Uh, he just, like, kind of stopped looking very focused and making eye contact with the pot and me. He was looked around for a second. Again, this could be, you know, some reverse tell stuff, but my, my read at the time was that it wasn't. Um, so now, what sizing are you, are you doing here to try to get value from his bluff catchers. And maybe before we talk about the sizing, let's talk about what what types of hands are in his bluff catching range there. What mm-hmm. are what are we targeting?
1: Uh, well, I mean, a hand that would... I guess probably the hand we're hoping for is, you know, ace-10, ace-king, maybe... I mean, do you think he ever gets to this spot with a set?
0: Um, Unlikely, and that's further compounded by the physical reads, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, like... I honestly, don't don't a even set of, mm-hmm. a
1: set of aces with the betting seems possible. But yeah, with with everything else we've talked
0: about, it doesn't seem possible. I also think that he's likely to bet ace ten plus on the turn. You know, even though yeah, he, you're right. That's, yeah.
1: that's a good point.
0: So, I what I'm thinking is the main component of his range here that can like realistically call a bet is you know. Ace X, Ace King, Ace Queen, Ace Jack. Um, yeah, and then I think, you know, I'm not really trying to value target Jacks, Queens, and Kings, because I think with just all these scare cards out, it's just going to be too hard for him to call a bet there. It would probably have to be below 100 bucks. So now I'm just thinking, you know, how do I size something to get a pair of aces to call me? And what what would you uh, would you add any hands to my kind of value target range or no. Okay, so so what sizing are you, are you thinking would be best here?
1: I, I don't think I'd go... We can talk thresholds, and then maybe try and figure something out. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't go below 75. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't go above 175. Hmm. My first instinct would be to throw out another bet of 135. Even that seems... I don't know, that seems pretty
0: good. Yeah, it, it's funny. That that was actually my my first instinct too. Just because the same bet will have a, you know, the effect on most players of just kind of tilting them a little bit and maybe getting them to do a spike call. Uh more so than like 120, which is yeah. like just looks more valuey. And then I just thought, you know, against this player, for whatever whatever sense, I thought that he would likely interpret that bet as some type of thin value bet, because he's seen me capable of thinly value betting, and he might think I'm a little crazy, but he definitely, I think, has some respect for my game, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's a type of player, you know, it's like has some poker intelligence, is a recreational losing player, but really just because he's, you know, a little too aggro, a little too wide, a little too loose, and I think definitely, you know, can thinly value bet, and I've seen him do it. So if if he can, I think he'll, he'll realize that I can bet a non-flush here for value. So... I opt to go with 175, basically just thinking that he's probably going to fold to almost any bit here. But if he's going to, like, have some type of spike call, uh, it's going to be pretty inelastic to sizing. But I think once you get to 200, it starts to just look, like, way too valuey, and he just can't really call with any of his hands. So I went with 175, and he instantly folded. And again, I, I think this is a spot where, just with the runout... It's like very unlikely for me to get paid for most any hands in his range, but I think it's always good to think about our bet sizing, and you know, even mm-hmm. if we can only get called by twenty percent of his range, we want to size it so we can get called there and not by zero. Yeah, well, of course, and
1: you know, it almost—I don't really like my bet of one hundred thirty-five anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think for the reasons you described, I think there's merit to your bet, but I'm also. Yeah, I think this might be a spot where we either have to, you know, give him a better reason to think we're bluffing, mm-hmm. uh, and I think betting a little bit bigger is good there, or give him just such great odds that he almost feels compelled to call.
0: Exactly. I, I yeah.
1: almost like a bet of a hundred dollars better, or even like even maybe my bottom threshold of you know seventy five. If, if you think he's the
0: type of player who knows we're only ever value betting with se-
1: when we bet seventy
0: five, I think he knows that. He still might call, <laughs> but I think he definitely knows that. So I, I'm inclined with you. I think like if he's going to make a spike call, you know, he'll do it more than like like if he's going to do it x percent of the time for seventy five, he'll do it more than the appropriate percentage for one seventy five. You know what I mean? Hmm. I
1: to make I that size yeah, more I profitable. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a. A Mistake for him. Oh, I mean, not really because it's worse. Well, it's hard to say what our range looks like there. I don't think we have that many bluffs. Yeah. Based on the run out. Uh huh. Uh, I think against maybe uh, a pro that's not that great of a player, I like the bet of 100 better. Yeah. Uh, a pro that's sort of going to get to the second or third level of thinking, and we can exploit him there. Yeah. Or, yeah, against a pro that we don't have a whole lot of respect for. I like that. Yeah, I like that smaller bet, because I think they'll they'll think, well, I have to call more uh, with a little bit, m- with enough theory to actually convince them to make the call.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right.
1: Thanks. I like the way you played it.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was definitely, I just remember right after the hand, I was like, oh, wow, I haven't thought this much about a hand in the middle of a hand for a while, so... Thought of would make a good hand for the podcast. Hey, this is Jack
1: Lasky, recording from the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, you can always head to our website to submit your own hand histories or access other great content, including a detailed trip report of my current trip to Las Vegas. Uh, the best way to keep in touch with us is to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is just hands poker. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday.